This is Real Estate Rookie Show number 53. I literally think I said I was going to quit my job August 27th or 28th before we even had a house under contract. It was in my mind. And it just kind of all fell into place. Like, My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson, and we just had to do a retake because I almost called him Tommy Boy. <laughs> so, Tony, we have had a couple of Rookie Reply episodes out now, and I want to know how everyone is liking them. So if you guys haven't heard about it yet, on Saturdays, we are releasing another episode. It's just Tony and I, and we are answering your guys' questions. So we're pulling voicemail questions. We're pulling questions from the Facebook group. We're pulling questions from Instagram. Then we're also thinking of topics that we think rookies need to know and learn about. So make sure you guys check that out. They start at episode 50. Yeah. And it's just Ashley and I, right? No one else. And it's just a really relaxed kind of conversation between us. Sometimes it's something that Ashley knows more about, something that sometimes I know a little bit more about, and we're educating each other as we go along as well. So it's been a really fun and cool process. So I hope you guys are enjoying it. Like, let us know. Head up Ashley, hit me up on Instagram or in the Rookie Real Estate group on Facebook. And yeah, let us know what you guys think. So today we have a great guest. We have Christy on and she set her mind out knowing she just wanted to quit her W-2 job with really no plan in place. And so what she did was she found real estate and figured out how that would work for her. And then she got her first deal and quit her job. So let's bring Christy on and learn a little bit more about her story and how her and her husband have done that. They're also doing out of state rentals too. They're doing a little bit of everything. And I think the really cool part about her story, you'll hear this at the end, but she was able to double her W-2 income with 18 months of real estate investing, which is like insane insane. So you guys are in for a good story for sure. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, 
allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Christy Lesage, welcome to The Real Estate Rookie. Super excited to have you on today. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, you've got an amazing story. Excited to dive into it. But before we get into all the meat and potatoes, just tell us a little bit about you. What's your journey? What's your story? And and what brought you to the real estate game? Yeah, I mean, my story kind of started a couple years back, but it was definitely a slow burn. I mean, real estate was not the initial answer for me at all. I was in kind of the nine to five corporate world working for Hilton with a, I would call it a nice cushy sales job because hotel sales, at least pre-pandemic was pretty fun. You were always entertaining clients and doing fun stuff, going out, eating and drinking. So Definitely had a very, very nice corporate world job and was pretty happy with it. And it really kind of, I guess, started right when I went on this three-day backpacking trip with my girlfriends to Yosemite. And I just remember having like the best time of my life being out in the wilderness and kind of really just taking it all in, having your phone off. And I just remember thinking, wow, like this, this is more kind of what life is all about. I mean, it's not all about sitting in a cubicle every day. And I think that really just kind of opened my eyes on how I wanted to kind of take my life more in my control and be able to go and do more things like that. And I remember coming home and I think it was that exact night and talking to my husband. I remember telling him, I want to quit my job. And he was like, okay. Sure. And he was like, well, what are you going to do to make money? And I was like, well, I mean, I don't know. That's (laughs) a good question. And at the time, it wasn't really kind of the initial answer, real estate. It's something he always was kind of looking into. His parents have done quite a bit of real estate investing throughout their life, but not something I was introduced to. Um, My father was more of a business owner and he kind of had the nine to five job. So I just had no, I guess, interest or guidance on that side. And I remember at the time my father was like, well, why don't you learn how to trade options? And that's what kind of started and geared me towards kind of making some extra money on the side. And so everything was going great. And 
And I started making money doing that while still working my full-time W-2 job. And I was kind of like getting a little cocky, like, well, why am I working now? Because I'm making more money sometimes than I am at my W-2 job in a month. And Spencer's like, well, it's not really like, it's a little volatile. Like, that's not always going to be like that. I'm like, yeah, you're right. So anyways, and then it was January 2019. And I did get a phone call, unfortunately, that my mother passed away. And that kind of triggered that whole feeling again of like, life's short. I don't really want to be here anymore at my job. And I was really struggling internally with that and was not mentally present at work. And I just really didn't necessarily take enough time to grieve. And it was really putting me in a hard spot. And I just remember kind of all those emotions from that Yosemite trip really just, I guess, came front and center again. I was like, I just can't do this anymore. And it was April 2019, right before Easter. And my boss pulled me in to his office at the time. And he kind of kept saying like, your performance is lagging. And I thought I was doing okay. I was like, I think it's just the market right now. But regardless of who was right, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, it was the numbers were lacking. And he was like, I just don't think you're over the passing of your mother. And I think it's still eating you up inside. And I remember being so angry when he was saying that to me, because I felt like I was doing okay, which clearly I wasn't because if it was still bothering me and rubbing me the wrong way, I clearly wasn't over it. So I came home that night and I told my husband, I'm quitting at the end of the summer. And I was like, all right, I guess so. Like, we're going for it. And he's like, well, yeah, like, you're trading options. That's great. You're making money. But like I said, we still have to figure something out. And I was like, yeah. And we really, really wanted to at the time, or I did at least, buy a nice house up on the hill with the down payment, which we could have afforded at the time, the down payment. But we would have been tied to our W-2 jobs for 30 years indefinitely having that monthly payment. It just was not the right decision. In hindsight, I'm so glad we didn't fall into that initial trap. It was just not the right move for us. I did not want to work past the summer, let alone like the next 30 years. And he was the one like, why don't we take this money and put it into an investment property here? I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, if this goes right, you'll be pretty close to making what you were making at Hilton, but we can kind of keep snowballing that. Like eventually it's going to snowball and it's kind of a long-term retirement plan once it's paid off. And I'm like, yeah. And he was already on the bigger pockets train. I think he was listening to more of the podcast and everything at the time. And I was kind of like, all right, let's do it. And kind of when I get my head wrapped around something, I'm just like, let's go. I don't even think I listened to one podcast was even on bigger pockets. I remember he was telling me, I'm like, we need to find a realtor. Like we need to find a realtor. And he's like, okay, that's fine. I'll just go look on bigger pockets for one. And I'm like, what? I was like, okay, whatever, you go figure that out. So we kind of went and he interviewed two realtors off of Bigger Pop Kits. I remember it so vividly. And it's funny he was doing this now, like at the time, because like I said, I still had nothing. I'm just, let's do it. I hate wasting time. I hate being inefficient. So I'm like, well, you've been researching this for so long. Your parents do it. I think we should be able to figure this out if your parents have figured this out. And so it was kind of like the good push he needed because he's kind of just learns and educates himself and he doesn't take as quick of action. And I'm kind of, all right, makes sense in my head. Let's see what happens. So he interviewed two realtors on Bigger Pockets, and one was kind of this investor guy, general contractor. And he was like, yeah, you know what? I'm not your guy. If you want to walk through 40 homes, I don't have time for that. And honestly, if it's a good deal, I'm just going to buy it myself. 
And we're like, okay, not the right person for us. <laughs> he's like, but I can tell you what needs to be fixed. And we're like, well, my husband, he's a director of engineering at a hotel. So he has a pretty good grasp on like maintenance and contracting. And we're like, okay, not the right person at all. So he called the next one and it was a gal in San Diego. And she actually worked at kind of a large brokerage firm who specialized in apartments. So we were like a very, very small fish. But the cool thing was, I forgot to ask her, but I'm pretty sure we were one of her first multifamily deals. So she was still very new and green and gave us all the attention. But we also kind of figured out what we needed at the time. And I remember we went into the brokerage firm and sat down and kind of talked with her and her boss. And they're like, okay, well, what are you looking for? And I think prior to that, I was looking at a couple deals in our college town in Michigan. So I like kind of knew the cash flow that we wanted. And we're in San Diego, of course. And I was like, yeah, we really need to be cash flowing probably at least 2000 net, 2500 a month. And they kind of like, like, okay, we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll work on that. And we're like, okay. So I was like, no, no, I'm sticking to my guns. It doesn't make sense otherwise. And still very new, like I said, had not <laughs> listened to bigger pockets or really understood appreciation or markets at the time. And we were really lucky or she found us a couple deals right away. She was amazing and just sending us a bunch. And we'll go more into this later. But she found us a deal right away that had bonus space and we were able to honestly make the numbers work. And I still think it's one of our best properties. And we were kind of off to the races from there. And we got that under contract July 2019. And we closed August 2019. And it kind of went back to that conversation I had with my husband in April, like not even thinking I'm like, I'm quitting my job end of summer. I literally think I said I was going to quit my job August 27th or 28th before we even had a house under contract. It was in my mind. And it just kind of all fell into place like that. I mean, I did push the lenders extremely hard to make sure we closed early because something I did not realize is do not quit your W2 job before you close on house because I was about to make that terrible, terrible mistake of quitting prior to closing on the house. So I held it out a couple more days and I came in the following Monday after we closed and gave them four days notice because I had four weeks of vacations already (laughs) planned. I'm like, well, I can come back to work after this. And they're like, I mean, no offense, you're great, but we're a very well-oiled machine over here. Like, we're going to be okay. So kind of a crazy story that it just all fell into place like that. You've got a really interesting story and like there's so many nuggets there that I want to poke at. But I think the first thing I want to hit on is you mentioned that you had this idea of buying a bigger home mm-hmm. and you knew that you guys could afford it, but that it was going to kind of tie you down for the next 30 years. Yeah. And we talk about this a lot about people being willing to sacrifice to kind of kickstart their real estate investing career. Have you guys played the cash flow game, the Robert Kiyosaki cash flow game? I haven't, but I want to so bad. It's a good game. And they have like an iPad app too. That's what my son and I usually play on. But you win the game by getting out of the rat race. And you get out of the rat race when your cash flow exceeds your expenses. So there's two pieces of that that you need to tackle. You need to dramatically increase your income, but you also need to keep your expenses in check or reduce them. And my son, it's so funny. Like whenever we play this game, you're given a profession. And the profession that he loves to get is the janitor 
or the maintenance man. And this isn't to disrespect janitors or maintenance men, but he hits getting the jobs with the big salaries, like the doctors, the airline pilots, because they also have big expenses. And he's like, I can always get out of the rat race faster when I have lower expenses. So even at 13 years old, he understands this. But back to my main point is like, I think it's so cool that you guys made that decision to say, we're going to hold off on kind of inflating our lifestyle to make sure we can support our real estate investing goals. Right. And I think we talk about this a lot and you guys have been really hounding on it a lot more lately on your podcast. I think my why at the time was so big in my head, like I need to quit my nine to five job. I need to quit it at the time. That's not it anymore. But at the time, that was my why and everything else, whatever we had to do to get there. I was like, I know I will be genuinely just so happy if I can just kind of quit my job and go do what I want and live the life how I want to and not kind of have these restrictions. And the sacrifices you make are, they're not that drastic (laughs) in hindsight of it. I mean, I think it's worth tenfold and I think you just need to identify really what's important to you. And I think your whole story shows that you knew exactly what you wanted and you went after it. So now that we heard a little bit about your first deal, but what does your portfolio look like now? So your first closing was August 2019. What has happened since then? Yes. So that was a four unit. And as I mentioned, there's a bonus kind of space in the back. So we do have a fifth tenant we rent out to. It's like a warehouse space. So we have five units in San Diego. And then we kind of sat on it kind of through until 2020, early 2020. And we're still kind of, uh, I don't know, know I mean, trying to figure out what to do next. Because to keep investing in San Diego, I mean, as you know, Tony, there's quite a big barrier to entry, especially if you're not living in the property, you're putting down 20, 25% down on a property out here. So it's quite a big barrier to entry. And we're kind of like, I don't know. And so we finally decided to make a pivot to out-of-state real estate investing this summer. And we were just so happy we finally made that jump. And we started investing back in Michigan. And that is where we both went to school in Michigan at Ferris State University. And my husband's from Michigan. And that's where his parents live. And so we're kind of looking at these little migration patterns. And we were looking at where all our friends were moving to after college because where my husband grew up in the Grand Rapids area. I mean, personally, I think it's a little overinflated for Michigan prices, at least for rental property investing. So we kind of were looking at the migration patterns on where our friends were moving. And that's kind of how we started to identify a market. And then we picked up another eight units in, I guess we closed August, 2020, but it was a package deal. So it was like a five unit property and a three unit property and you had to buy both. So we were really excited about that. And then I think that put us uh, five plus eight, that's 13 doors. And then we picked up another three unit in December of this year, just kind of continuing to grow it, kind of get more of that cash flow. We were like, liked being a little diversified because we're getting so much appreciation out here that it was nice to really ramp up on the cash flow back in Michigan. And then as of tomorrow, I mean, knock on wood, we are signing and we are closing on a eight unit property, legitimate multifamily, but on a commercial loan. So it's not like kind of that package deal anymore. So we're really, really excited about that. And that will put us at 24 doors. That is so awesome. I mean, really most of it within a year, really. Yeah. I mean, 2020 was pivotal. I mean, like I said, we did our first deal August, 2019. And then, yeah, we really kind of went back to the drawing board and July. I mean, July seems to be our year where like we can never plan any vacations in July because we just have these crazy pivotal moments. We're like, let's go. And it's crazy. So yeah, from July 2020 
to February 2021, yeah, we've closed on 19 doors in Michigan. So yeah, very exciting. How are you financing all of these deals? So you had your down payment for your first one. And then did you do a conventional residential loan on that? And then what about the other ones? Yeah. So the first one was the 25% down. So quite a hefty barrier to entry, I would say, and conventional financing. And honestly, the first time going through conventional financing, and like I said, not knowing much about real estate, that was kind of like just a nightmare to me. I'm like, what is going on? I don't understand all these fees, these loan estimates. They don't make sense to me. I'm like, they're trying to rip us off. This is crazy. And I mean, then we're like shopping around and oh my God, the first time going through financing, like, please, if you're Ricky listening to this, like, don't worry. I feel like everyone goes through it. It's just like, what, what, what is this? But now it's like, okay, I understand how this works. And then the second deal, the package deal was actually kind of interesting because it was a five unit property. So you would technically have to do like portfolio or commercial lending and then a three unit property. And we were trying to do conventional, I remember. And we only talked to like a couple banks and we talked to our friend who was a loan officer and they're like, you're not going to be able to get conventional financing right now because your DTI is too high from that other property because you haven't owned it for a year. We're like, what? We were kind of like looking around and we didn't look around too hard, but that ended up being the consensus kind of that our DTI was too high unless we owned it for a full year, which would have been a month later. But I was a little impatient. So we just kind of went and jumped on it and got it under contract. And I think we basically were like, well, we'll put down basically as much cash as we could. I think the property was around 174 for the two. We negotiated down 178. So we basically were able to come up with the dollars $75,000, but we did get a 10-year note loan that his parents pulled from a HELOC, and we ended up putting them on a 10-year note, and we are paying them like 6%. So at least they're getting a return on their money. Because we were exploring the hard money route, and we're just, this deal just really would not look as good if we're paying 12%. So we kind of went back to his parents and were like, okay, we actually went to his grandma's estate first. And then everyone kind of got word about what we're doing and see if we could pull a loan out of there and pay them a 6% interest rate. And his parents were like, why don't we just do it this way? We have enough equity in this building that we can pull it out. And so we kind of did a promissory note with them and we were able to pay them a small return because I think they're paying the bank 2.75. So we're paying them a small 3% return on a 10-year note that we plan on actually probably starting a refi on in the next few days to get them out. That's more than they would get in a bank though. Exactly. I always say this, if you're trying to like throw out an offer or offer someone a deal like that, would you accept it? And that's kind of where we were at. Like, yeah, I probably would accept a 6% interest rate to help my kids out or friends or family. And they're making a little bit of dividend. And I think his dad at the time was like, I'm having a tough time getting 3% in the market right now. It just, he was just kind of like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. So it worked out. One question I want to clarify before we go into the other deals. You said that your DTI was impacted because you didn't own that first investment property for a year. For the folks that aren't following that, can you just quickly explain why that was a negative impact and what happens after a year? And what DTI is, what does it even mean? Yeah. Yeah. So our debt to income ratio was too high because we had essentially a $530,000 mortgage out on this investment property. So our payment each month was around $3,400, we'll say. And even though we're cash flowing X number, 
the bank doesn't count that until you have owned it, I guess, for a year or you have one year of tax returns. It kind of, I think, differs bank to bank depending on their lending requirements. So they were seeing it as negative 3,400 against us. And we were seeing it as, well, we're actually positive 16, $2,000, whatever. And they're like, no, we can't lend to you for that. And then I also wasn't working or I didn't have two years of self-employment to add up. So we're just going off of my husband's income. So they're looking at the ratio and they're like, oh, you're like a 50 or 70% debt to income ratio. And we're like, no, we aren't, but okay. So that's kind of how they look at it on paper, even though you have leases in place, depending on the lender, they don't necessarily count it. So you really have to kind of shop around. If anyone wants to figure out what their DTI is, you can just take, like Christy said, you'll take your income for that month, what your monthly income is, and then you divide it by, or is it you take the expenses, divide by the income? I never remember which way it is. I can't remember the formula, but yes, you are on track. And it's it's, not your expenses, but it's your monthly loan payments that you have. So you take that and you divide it by your income for that month to get your DTI. And with COVID, the lenders bumped down the acceptable ratio. So it was even lower. They're like, oh no, you can't have over this percentage. And then after COVID, kind of that March, April, they kind of like bumped it up to the acceptable point too. I think conventional standard is somewhere around like 30, 40%, but you could correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not a loan officer. Like you said, it'll vary by the bank and vary by the lender. So sorry, I just wanted to clarify that for the listeners because I'm sure not everyone kind of kept up with that piece, but let's talk about quickly how you finance those last two deals. So for the third property, we just did standard conventional financing. And then this last, or I guess that was technically the fourth property. And then the last property that we are closing on tomorrow was our first time doing a commercial loan through a bank. So that was an eight unit. And their process for lending actually seemed a lot easier. I mean, the biggest thing they look for is a personal financial statement. So they really look at kind of your net worth and they don't really look at DTI as much as long as you have leases in place, proper rent rolls, et cetera. Awesome. Okay. So I think the important thing, Chrissy, from your story is that there's so many different ways to get a deal finance, right? You had conventional, you had the HELOC, now you went with the commercial route. So there's a lot of different ways to get it done. And then I think people might be listening and saying, you know, I don't have a ton of cash to get multiple deals done in a year, but the important thing is to think about the creativity and all the different ways to get it done. So I, I love that you explained that for us. So now you've got this kind of really big portfolio What are some things that you're doing, some systems or things you have in place to help you manage these now almost 24 units that you have? Yeah. So my husband and I, we still self-manage our portfolio and we're really trying to be able to do this remote. We have explored the idea of property management, but with me not working a full-time W-2 and I really do, as of right now, enjoy managing our own portfolios just to make sure they're up to that peak performance and making sure everything's in place. So kind of the systems we have down right now is that I kind of manage all of the financing, the realtors, I do all of our books, the paperwork, the leases, used to work in hotels. So kind of like that contract sales, I kind of understand like some, I guess, verbiage that should be included in those leases. And then I also get the day-to-day tenant communication, which can always be fun. 
And he more so manages all of our contractors, our handyman. And then he also, I have tasked him with the city planning board. So really look into your city and what they're doing and kind of that path of progress area, because we found out about a really cool program about this last deal that we're investing in the city where they will replace, if it's kind of a lead-based building, or I can't remember all of the details, but they will come in and replace all of the windows and doors on your building if you fill out this application and apply, which is a huge advantage. So he manages that and he manages all the maintenance calls and kind of like the day-to-day operation of the building. So kind of the way we have it divided, it really kind of allows our free time. And we've tried to kind of stay in our lanes doing it that way, which has made it more of a systemized process to make it more reasonable. What have you done right now to kind of put systems in place to eventually outsource this? Or do you think maybe you would even hire someone and keep it in-house? What are your plans for the future for property management? I think we are trying to hire someone and keep it in-house, especially as our portfolios grow in kind of two main markets. I just kind of like the idea of being able to control the numbers a little better and kind of be able to know where the money is going. So recently, last week, my husband, we've gone through at least like three or four handyman in Michigan now. And I think we finally found one (laughs) that we're like, okay, you're going to be our go-to guy from now and we're just calling you. I think we finally have one now, which is great because he's been at our properties now probably for like two or three days straight, it almost seemed like, which was really nice just to kind of have that go-to guy. So just having a handyman in place. And then I really like the Airbnb turnover process. And I know, Tony, you talked about this a lot, is having a really good cleaning person. So we haven't had an apartment turnover yet in Michigan, knock on wood, and I'm sure that will (laughs) be coming shortly. But I really like the idea of having a really good cleaning person going in after the tenant. And even if you have the showings lined up ahead of time, have the cleaning person show it while she's there. So I think that's going to be kind of a process or system we're going to try and implement and test out going forward because I personally want to screen the tenants we're putting in there and I want to kind of have the lease and go through that process so I know who's going in there. We just need someone who's going to do kind of the showings and be there to flip the apartment. So having that good handyman, Tony, like you said, and cleaning person, I think will be a good system moving forward. I want to know, how are you finding these people and then vetting them, especially being remotely? Are you flying out there to to meet with them? How is that happening since you've gone through a couple of them? Yeah. So one thing that I can't remember who found it, but your neighborhood Facebook groups are really good tools to use, especially when looking for contractors and stuff. So we are in a neighborhood Facebook group in that area, and you'll see contractors, handyman, plumbers posting all the time about their businesses, this and that, even roofers. We found a roofer to do a roof. And then my husband kind of calls them, vets them. We are trying to interview them a little better because some of them are not necessarily as legitimate as we would like them to be. Like we want to make sure they're going to fill out a W-9, especially if they're going to do a job over $600. So he has found a lot of the handyman, but that's where we'll post for a cleaning lady too, or even landscaping. I think he found a high school person on there wants to help with mowing the lawns. So you know I mean, you can find good work in those kind of Facebook groups. And even if you just do a little post like, hey, I'm looking for this, this, blah, 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 this and that, you'll usually get quite a few responses. Yeah, I love the Facebook groups. There's like really active Facebook groups around short-term rentals in the different markets that I'm in as well. So like we found at least one handyman and one cleaner through our Facebook groups as well. So 
really, really awesome resource. And while we're talking about Facebook groups, let me plug the Ricky Real Estate Facebook group as well. So if you guys aren't in there, go join. There's like 20,000 people in there. Lots of good activity happening. So the next thing I want to hit, Chrissy, is how are you doing your showings remotely? I know that was a big concern for me, right? I was in California. My long-term rentals were in Louisiana, and I just thought it might have been too much of a pain. I think now, knowing what I know now, I could probably do it. But I guess, how are you managing that piece, like doing the showings remotely? Yeah, like I said, we have been fortunate enough. We haven't had a turnover, so we haven't had to do one remotely yet. But our plan is, like I said, we're going to have a cleaner in there. And I would ideally like the cleaner to be there and kind of just have three people walk through while she's there. And then if we do not find a tenant through that, I think I'll just have a lockbox set on the door with a code and with the key to the house. And then we will kind of call them, vet them over the phone, and kind of if they pass that initial test, have them go in and take a look around, I think is the process or system moving forward that we're going to test out so we don't have to fly back. There's a bunch of software too that you can get. Like I think Show Mojo is one. And then even some of the more popular property management software is kind of incorporating different things. Are you using any kind of software to manage the rentals right now? We are not we are a little bit old school so we use all the payment apps just your typical bank you know zelle venmo cash app whatever and then i just have the spreadsheets down right now so we're debating on if we're gonna go into like quickbooks or i think you mentioned stessa a few times whether that's kind of the right system moving forward but at this time we do not have a particular software we use the one i do use a lot which i really like is the mint budget kind of tracker. And that kind of just gives me a good overview of everything. And I can see all the money going in and out and be able to kind of piece it into each rental property from there. Yeah. If there's one that you want to try, Rent Ready, they're actually a show sponsor for us pretty frequently. And they have a promo going right now where it's only a dollar for a year. I mean, just even just to go around in there and to play around, they have a demo and stuff like that. And then another ones are a Buildium, Appfolio, Trust me, once you get it, you will not want to go back. We are like already, I'm like dreading doing our taxes this year. It's like now we're starting, we're going to have to compile everything. And I have all the properties. I have to really finalize the books on them. And a lot of the softwares have onboarding specialists too. So that when you're looking at softwares, look at the ones that do it for free. Because they'll actually just like a live person will help you get everything uploaded into there. My life changed when I got property management software. So I'm like a huge advocate. I worked off when I first took over the apartment complex. It was a sheet with just lines drawn across with a ruler. And then they would use a red marker and put a check if the person paid rent or not. Jeez. Oh my God. Yeah, it's getting there. I'm sure probably with this next property coming online, we're going to have to change something pretty quickly here. So I guess one, one quick question, right? So you guys have scaled really quickly, right? To go from zero to 24 since summer 2019, that, that's pretty fast growth. What's been the biggest challenge for you guys? What's been the hardest part, would you say? I mean, just, I think learning real estate as we go. I mean, like I said, before we kind of bought that first property, I didn't know much. And I feel like almost every day is kind of something. It's a learning curve. And one of the biggest challenges, and I'll never, ever, ever make this mistake again, but one of the first tenants we put into kind of that back storage industrial space I've been talking about, it was such a quick turnaround. Like I said, I was leaving for vacation for four weeks. I'm like, we just want to get this filled. It's not even worth anything, whatever. Like, we'll just get this person in here. And it was a nightmare. Like we made the awful mistake of not running a background check on him or running his credit or background check. And I will never do that again because we ran it on the first tenant we put into the building. 
But for some reason, we thought this space was just kind of flying under the radar, not like a big deal. We're like, his application looks good. His bank statements look good. He's fine. And we put him in there and he was fine for like six months. And kind of when his lease expired, we knew how much that space was worth. So we're like, okay, you can either leave or we're bumping the rent. That's one or the other. And we bumped the rent and he like paid one month and then COVID happened. And of course he, from there, just stopped paying, stopped communicating. And it was a nightmare trying to get him out, especially with eviction moratoriums. And I kind of go back to always make sure you're surrounded by a good team. And luckily we had a good legal team in place that helped us kind of find some loopholes and technicalities on him that we were able to eventually get him out. But always, always, always screen your tenants. (laughs) I will never ever make that mistake again. And that's what people say, right? Like, it's not a matter of if you're going to evict a tenant, it's a matter of when. And I've never gone through that process myself, but I think every new real estate investor should expect that it'll happen at some point. And as a a quick side note, if you guys haven't seen the movie Guest House with Pauly Shore on Netflix, it's like every landlord's worst nightmare where basically this couple buys his house, they inherit Pauly Shore as a tenant, and he's just like the worst tenant ever and they can't get him out. So. Oh, I did watch that. Yeah. They have like a pool in the backyard and he's in the pool house. Yeah, yeah. he's got the pool house in the backyard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh so guest house on Netflix, if you guys haven't seen it yet, it'll give you a good laugh. So I, I want to dive, Christine, into one of your deals specifically. So do you have one in mind that we can kind of do a deep dive on the numbers? Yeah, of course. It would definitely be like that first deal, I think, especially with how quickly the market has changed in San Diego now we look at kind of the purchase price and the gross rents we're getting on that property and it was at the time definitely a home rent deal it's just taken us a while to get it up to this kind of performance so let's go into that one all right awesome so i want to set the table for the listeners first so i'll ask you just some quick hitting questions and, and give me your response and we'll do a bit of a deeper dive afterwards but what was the purchase price on this one the purchase price was negotiated down to 712000 All right. There's people in Ashley's neck of the woods when you say negotiated down to 720000 That is a register. All right. So 720000 was the purchase price. What was your down payment on it? We put 25% down because we are not living in this one. Got it. Okay. And what's your monthly expenses, principal interest, taxes, insurance? Yep. That is $3,470. All right. Got it. And then what are you renting it for? Our gross rents on the property right now are $6,260. Got it. That's awesome. You're netting somewhere around like, what is that, 25-ish hundred bucks a month? Yeah. And so we actually installed after a coin-operated washer dryer and each unit has families in it. So we actually are from the coin washer dryers, probably netting an additional $100 safely each month too, which kind of gives us a nice little chunk of income, which is really nice. Got it. That's awesome. Right. I mean, so you're obviously spending a lot more on the property at 720K, but you're also netting a pretty handsome amount at $2,500 a month, right? Right. That definitely beats, you know, the $100 per door that you typically see. So you talked a little bit about the financing piece already, but you just went like a conventional investment loan on this property? We did. So it was just your typical conventional investment loan. And then we are finishing a refinance out tomorrow or Monday. So we will get an additional $300 in cash flow that we will be able to claim on the property. Are you refinancing for the amount you owe on it or are you taking any cash out of the property too? So we are just doing loan and term. We did try to pull some money out of the property, but the appraisal came back a little wonky, I'll say, without having to go into much details with the comps that the appraiser used. And it's such a unique property. And I didn't realize that we would necessarily have this issue in what they call like C-class neighborhoods. Our realtor kind of walked us through it, but 
essentially there's not enough comps in these neighborhoods to really compare to show the true value of the property. So it did appraise higher, of course, than what we purchased it for, but way under really what I think we could sell it for just based on kind of the numbers. What made you decide not to try and fight the appraisal? We've had a couple people on that have actually, you know, requested another appraisal. What made you decide to keep going with this? I mean, you're getting the extra cash flow. Was that mainly the reason? We thought about contesting the appraisal and paying for another one, but we thought or we realized that if the appraiser came through again, he would probably just pull the same comps. And the comps are so off on what the ones they're pulling that there's nothing else listed on the market right now where they could pull different comps. So I feel like even if we were to contest it or fight it, if they pulled those exact same comps, we'd come up with the exact same results. So we're kind of happy with just the increased cash flow anyways, and kind of where we're sitting right now in our cash position for our next deal. But yeah, we were a little disappointed, but we figured if we contested it, they would just use the same comps again, because there's really not a lot in that direct neighborhood that to compare from. What would you do different so that next time you're more prepared to estimate what the appraisal is actually going to be? So now that you've been through the whole appraisal process and you've seen what comps they actually pulled, what would you recommend to rookies so that they don't get into that same situation? What would you have done different? Yeah, I think I would have tried to pull some comps ahead of time, honestly, and really kind of get a look on the market. I mean, regardless, we were going to refinance it for that lower rate anyways, but we had our broker try and contest them and our realtor pull additional comps and sent to that appraiser. But maybe, I mean, they talk about this all the time, like trying to send a couple comps to them ahead of time, prompt them a little, whether they take that receptive or not. But once the report's kind of written, I think it's pretty hard to get it thrown changed or thrown out, it seems. So I want to talk a little bit about how you found the deal, Chrissy. Was this wholesale MLS pocket listing? Yeah, I mean, it was honestly an MLS through the realtor who I spoke of. She sent us quite a few investment summaries. And like I said, they weren't kind of penciling out originally to our, you know, $2,000, desired cash flow. I think originally when we penciled it out, it was only going to be around $1,000 cash flows. We're like, oh, that's not very good for how much money we're putting down. But the kicker is she sent over this investment summary. And in the MLS listing, I talked about the space, it had the space in the back that the current owner was using as his workshop. He had quite a big portfolio in San Diego. So he was just using it kind of as his headquarters for all his maintenance guys to kind of go in and out. And the realtor listing it says like, yeah, you probably can rent it for $500 to $1,000. But that was listed in the MLS description. And I think a lot of people looked over that and did not factor that into their numbers. And yes, you can't use those numbers for conventional financing. But I remember my husband saw that and he's like, this is actually very valuable space. And for how close this is listed to downtown, like even if we just get $500 a month out of it, that's already bumping our cash flow to $1,600 a month. And then now we rent it for $1,500 a month. And that's bumping our cash flow to that $2,500. $2,600 range, which is phenomenal. But to answer your question on the MLS, but always read the descriptions. Yeah, that's a really valuable point because we've had other guests on the show that have also said that they found these kind of stale listings that the only reason they were still up is because they had been up for so long and people weren't really paying attention to where the value was. Like, I can't remember where it was, but someone bought something a while. Anyway, it's something that happens pretty regularly, right? Where, where there's like a really cool or unique part of the property that adds additional value. So For those of you that are listening, if you see some of those listings that have gone stale that might have been up for a while, see if there's anything unique 
or special about the property that maybe other investors are passing up on. And then if you're lucky enough, you get like Christy, where your, your cash flow is 2,500 bucks a month and everything works out well. Well, it sounds like it was a good deal for you. We had the guest on, Tony, that she actually bought an Airbnb and turned it into a house hack. Is that what you were thinking of? Maybe. Yeah. So it was a, yeah. a listing that had been sitting for a long time, I think over a year. We'll link it in the the show notes. I don't remember exactly what episode it was. Yeah, she had found it and it was listed on the commercial side. So like people who are actually looking to house hack weren't looking on the commercial side for a place to live. And she turned the main house into her house. And then there was like two additional dwellings on the property and she's renting those out. So wow. yeah, there's definitely yeah. unique deals out there. You just have to know how to look at them. <laughs> Creative ways yeah. to force cash flow yeah. or more cash flow. <laughs> Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch stage to the first order stage to the did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash BP rookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash BP rookie now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash BP rookie. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Cool. So, Christy, this is probably my favorite part of the show, but it's where we kind of do a deep dive into the mindset of the real estate investors that we're talking with. A lot of times, the people who want to get started in real estate investing, all of our rookies, they know what to do. They've read all the books, but they're just mentally can't get past or get those steps on that they need to to actually get moving. So what were 
maybe some misconceptions you had as a would-be real estate investor that turned out to be totally not true, right? Something you were afraid of that just didn't really materialize when you started investing. That's a good one. I mean, honestly, I think the horror stories that your uncle Bob say, you know, like, oh, that's going to be such a headache. You don't want to do that. And he's like the big guy working at the corporate world, having a nice cushy salary. It's like, well, he's like, you're going to just have all these headaches. It's going to be a disaster. You're going to lose money. You don't want to do that. Like, why would you waste your time doing that? It's like, well, because I don't necessarily want to be you and work in, a, you know, the corporate world. Like, I mean, to put it nicely, but I mean, I guess that's not. But I think just like, don't be afraid of kind of those horror stories. Nightmares. I mean, we have enough of them, but honestly, it's really not that bad. I think someone always says 10% of life is the obstacles that come your way and 90% of it is how you handle them. And we always try and remember that like, okay, this is bad. This is not good right now. Like we're struggling, but I mean, there's always a way to manage and handle those kind of ways around those issues and those tenant issues. And it's really, really how you manage the situation because it's going to be hard. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I wouldn't let that headache stop you because we always say the good days outweigh the bad. And we've definitely had our fair share of bad days, but... Yeah, I love your comment on Uncle Bob, right? Because everybody's got an Uncle Bob and Uncle Bob's got like all of the advice when it comes to real estate investing, but he owns zero properties himself. Right. And it, it can be so scary when you're venturing off into this world of real estate investing, because a lot of people maybe don't know other real estate investors, like in their personal circle. So they're the only ones that are listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast and watching YouTube videos and reading the book. So they're gaining all of this knowledge. And then when they go and talk to their friend or their family member about what they're trying to do, you know, they kind of look at them sideways like, what do you mean? What do you mean you're going to go spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on this property that's going to give you, you know, 200 bucks a month or something like that, right? Like it just doesn't connect for them. So I think that's the importance of community, right? Is surrounding yourself with other people who are investing, other people who have the same goals and other people who aren't like Uncle Bob that all they wanna do is kind of break you down and give you the negativity. So I love your perspective on that. One other comment, right? Because you kind of mentioned this, you said it so beautifully. I'm trying to make sure I don't mess this up, but you said life is like 90%, say it one more time, the way I don't mess it up and, and listeners can actually get it. And it's not my quote, <laughs> but my husband says it all the time. So it's 10% of life is the obstacles that come your way and the other 90% is how you handle them. That is beautiful. So w those are kind of like, not words we live by, but I mean, it's up there because sometimes, you know, we get these crazy tenant issues because we mostly invest in these C-class buildings or neighborhoods. And it's really just how you handle the situations. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. That's really great. So I'm going to take us to the rookie request line and um, anybody can call in and leave us a voicemail at 888-5-ROOKIE. Leave us a question and we may play it here on the show and have our guest answer it for you. Here's today's question. Hey, Real Estate Rookie Podcast. My name is Greg and I'm based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. My wife and I are new real estate investors and we have our current house ready to rent. It should cash flow nicely. And we have cash saved up and we're ready to buy a property, move out, and actually start making some money. Our realtor, who's also a real estate investor, recommends that we buy a more expensive house as a move-up house because it can be harder to buy you know, a nicer house down the line once you get a number of properties accumulated. We're kind of torn on if we should buy a more expensive house or go in at a lower price point and focus on accumulating some more lower dollar rentals. I would love to hear your feedback. 
And Chrissy, I think you answered this question already in the beginning of the show, just telling us your story. I know. (laughs) I'm like trying to think. I'm like, wait, where are we going? Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily, if your realtor is an investor, that's great. But I think you just need to look at your situation. And that's great that your house is going to cash flow that much. And I think that's awesome that that is your plan for that house. And you're not necessarily going to sell that. But I think just really look at that situation and kind of what we're even looking at right now, which might be a great option for you, is if you're especially in those higher expensive areas, trying to find a property that I would say a property you can house hack because I'm not necessarily one who wants to like share walls anymore. But even if you can find a property with two houses on it and that way you kind of get that nice living situation and then you can rent out the other house or the other accessory dwelling unit. If you kind of want to maybe move up a little like your realtor is saying and you don't necessarily want to have to downgrade your lifestyle, I would definitely just look into those options. And I mean, I think that's a great way to still get a nicer house, but still not be tied to that huge mortgage payment. So kind of get those creative ways of how you can make money on buying an additional property with kind of those extra cash flow points. Yeah, I like Christy's take on it is that you can still get a nice house, but just have it as a house hack. So you're still getting additional income. Right. Because if you do go out and buy a really nice expensive house, like we talked about earlier, that's going to hurt your debt to income when you go to try and get investment loans on your property. But if you start building those investment loans as you're getting that debt, you're also getting income, which is going to offset that. Where if you just get the nice house first, that's not going to do that. So I'm sure your realtor has good intentions, but I would say the opposite. I lived in an old farmhouse for a couple of years for free and we made the mistake and built a brand new house. And now I look back and I'm like, my God, we should have like stayed there five more years and like lived for free in a paid off house. But nope, I had to have my dream house. So learn from my mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> and on the house hacking piece, right? Like I think it was episode 49, right? Actually, where we had Andres on there where he talked about house hacking the new builds. I don't know where you're at, but if you can go out and buy a new construction, you can get in at three and a half percent down and you can house hack and make a ton of cash flow. So different strategies, right? All right. So I want to take us into the next segment here, Christy, which is our, our kind of random question. I think for me, the, the question I want to ask you is why jump into the multifamily units first, as opposed to kind of cutting your teeth or getting started in the single family space? I think a lot of folks might have some fear or some hesitation around starting off with five units from day one, what made you not so afraid to do that? I guess, first of all, the multifamily for us made the most sense. It was the best kind of return on investment in our area. And we needed at least kind of those three or four units for it really to like make sense for us in this area. I don't think that's necessarily true in other areas, but for that return we were looking for, that is kind of what made sense. And once we kind of got into that first one, it didn't seem as scary anymore. And we've kind of continued and progressed from there. But to go back to your point, I mean, I think Honestly, I had so much confidence in my husband that we were going to figure it out no matter what. And I was like, it really comes back down to kind of your partner, whether it's your significant other, your partner, and just having confidence in them and trusting the process. Because especially if they've done so much research behind it ahead of time and their intentions are good, then I think sometimes you just need to trust yourself and take that leap of faith. And then also just remember what's the worst that can happen. I mean, I kind of think that a lot when we get scared about doing some of these bigger deals. It's like, well, Uh, what's the worst that can happen? I guess we sell it and we'll probably be pretty close to getting our money back if we just sell it and we get out, you know? So if you were to buy it tomorrow and then sell it, turn around and sell it the next week, you'll probably lose some money. But 
other than that, it's pretty non-consequential in my mind if your plan is to buy and hold and you have done the research ahead of time. I mean, do not just go and buy any property, like do not force it. I would just make sure that you are doing your research on your deals and you're buying good, solid deals and you're not forcing the numbers to make sense. Christine, my question is to you about your W-2 income. Did you replace that yet with your cash flow from your properties? And what are the next steps for you? Like, what's the next goal to reach? I mean, if we're just counting the property income towards me, yes, <laughs> and not towards my husband, yes. Yeah, just yours, yeah. That's awesome. For sure, yeah. I would say we're pretty much doubled my W-2 income right by now, which is we're in a sales job, so kind of low salary with high bonus. But yeah, I would say with this eight unit closing, pretty much if I get to take all the cash flow, then we've pretty much doubled the cash flow or from the W-2 income, which is amazing. And we say it all the time, like you don't really realize how much your time is worth until you kind of take that leap of faith and make sure you have a security blanket. Like just please do not go ahead and quit your job tomorrow. But I think it really shows how valuable your time is and how much kind of that corporate world knows that and can really not take advantage of it. But like, if you are to go out on your own and you are passionate about something, I think you need to realize you're easily going to be a six-figure position on your own, whether if you're making under $100,000 right now, I think as long as you're dedicated and you have the right mindset, you can accomplish a lot. I love that. And congratulations. I mean, that is really awesome. In a year and a half, you were able to double what you were getting at your W-2. That's a really great accomplishment. So can you tell us where everyone can find out a little bit more about you and where to reach you? Yeah, absolutely. I am on Instagram. It is just my name, Christy Lesage. It is more of, I guess, a personal page for my friends, but I am looking, our goal for this year is to network more and connect with more investors. We have been a little bit kind of heads down, like go, go, go lately. So we have not done as good of a job as I would have liked. So I am on Instagram. I do post a little bit of real estate on there when we're going through our deals and our inspections but would love to connect with you, anyone there. I am on Bigger Pockets also, and I am very guilty of not updating my Bigger Pockets profile page. So please go connect with me there and it'll give me some motivation to <laughs> upload all my deals and be more active on that Bigger Pockets website. So that's a great place to connect with me as well. And I'm also always available over email to kind of connect with mentorship. And if you just reach out to me on one of those pages, I'll shoot it over to you. Awesome. Thank you so much. And um, we'll link all this information too at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 53. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure that you join our Facebook group. Just search Real Estate Rookie. And Christy, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And I mean, providing huge motivation for anyone else that's thinking they want to get out of their W-2 and get into real estate. So thank you very much. Of course, happy to be here. And it was so much fun this morning uh, getting to chat with you guys. I'm Ashley Kerr at Wealth From Rentals and he's Tony Robinson at Tony J. Robinson. And make sure you guys listen to our newest episode coming out Saturday. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. 
With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.